0: You know, we've, we've been in James for a couple of months now, and we've gotten to chapter five, and, and we're nearing the end, and the context for today really matters. So I want to sort of just recap briefly where we've been, because I think it sort of helps set the passage on prayer in its, in its right setting. Um, you know, in the book of James, if you remember, it starts with, with him calling for endurance. So like, endure until the end, endure unto maturity, and, and, and count it. As like a good thing when you're going through trials of various kinds, right? And so there's these trials that are happening. People are physically tired and weary and worn out. People are spiritually and emotionally tired and worn out. People are physically in trouble. People are dying. There's people being abused. And and perhaps this is a a group of people that are giving up hope. Maybe they're overwhelmed to the point of, of despair, There seems to be maybe some infighting that's happening in the community that's reading this or hearing these words. There's abuse at the hands of the rich. And let me just say that they did not have it easy like we do in our soft, cushy American lives. Um, And and it was stressful, deeply stressful. And so James is calling them to endure. And he's been telling them from from the very beginning of the letter to, to be a people who are humble, And and single-mindedly focused on Jesus and on the gospel to, to endure these things so that they can be matured and conformed into the image of Christ. And He's been railing against arrogance and continually telling them to be humble and God will exalt you, God will lift you up. And I think that context really matters. And and there there to be people who are asking God in faith, remember this genuine faith is really important to James and and should be important to us, to ask in faith for God to provide for them and to meet their needs. And and he's saying, but the double-minded should not expect to see their prayers answered, right? And he's saying, because that's sort of like uh, if you were asking for directions from somebody and didn't really trust them, like, are you really going to do what they're telling you to do? Are you going to receive what they're asking you to receive if you don't trust them? And James is saying, like, be single-mindedly focused on Jesus, genuine in your faith, and God will answer your prayers. Like there's this, this element of that conviction there from James. And so today we're, we're going to be talking about prayer and how important it is to the life of the believer, and this is what James is going after. And so I, I don't know if you follow our church on social media, but I try to boil it down to this, this idea that the conversation with God, and I use that word in, intentionally, conversation with God through humble prayer leads to restoration and healing. It's a mouthful, but I want you to sort of soak in that a little bit today. The conversation with God through humble prayer leads to restoration, leads to health, leads to full life, or as James says, leads to saving. This Greek word sozo, there's this holistic thing that happens. And so I'm calling prayer conversational for a reason, which I will get into. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, turn with me to James 5. I'm going to read this this section here. So just remember this context, right? They're suffering, they are enduring, they are tired, there's fighting, they're weary, they're sick, they're hurting. Don't be arrogant, right? There's this 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 call over and over again to be humble. Then in verse 13 of chapter 5, James says this: Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful or rejoicing? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another. And I, I don't know if I ever will remember to say this later, but I, I do believe that, and I think psychology would would prove this out that that sometimes sin has a physiological effect on our lives that things we are hiding in take a physical toll on our bodies that that trauma that has happened to us and sin that has happened to us or trauma that we have inflicted has physical effects On us, When we are living in deep, unrepentant sin of some sort, it has this physical effect on us. So I think there's a link here between sin and sickness that maybe James is after. Or maybe he's talking about the rich people who've been abusing others. Maybe he's bringing that into the equation here about sinning. So he's saying, you know, call for the elders to pray over you in in verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Uh, Laura, you can stay on verse 16 for a second. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Eugene Peterson's translation of this uh, in the message, oftentimes I will look there and be like, what is this guy who studies language, What, what did he come up with for this? He says this, the prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. That's what's happening in that verse. I'm going to try to draw that out, but that's what's going on there. The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. All right, verse 17. Then he gives us this, he gives us this, uh, this, this picture. It's like, this is what it looks like. It's like the highest of all pictures that you could have picked, but this is what he picks. Elijah was a human being as we are, just like you and me. <laughs> and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. Thank you for the very tangible example, James. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. He's like, there you go. You can be just like that. This is what he picks. Well, we got to dive into this and figure out what he's talking about, right? So James here, after all that he's been going through in this letter, is now calling on people to pray. So who's called to pray and when? The answer is everyone all the time. That's what he's after in this passage, right? He says, if any of you are suffering, pray. So let's put that on like the bad side of the scale, right? If any of you is suffering, or going through something bad and hard, pray. On the other side of the scale, if you are going through rejoicing, if things are good for you, if things are cheerful for you, sing psalms. Praise God. Pray in song to God. That covers everything, good and bad. All those people are called to pray to God. In some way all right? And then he goes on to say, "If you are sick, now the word "sick," it, this is used interchangeably throughout the New Testament, you need to know this, because I think it's important. The word "sick" is often translated "sick" or "weary." All right? It's not just like physically ailing. It's like an ailment of weakness. Of some sort. Sometimes it's used like mentally, if someone is, is that they are weak in their minds. Paul uses the term in this way. When, when, when people are going to Jesus to be healed, it, it says that they are sick. And so it's, it's, the word is used interchangeably sick and weary, sick and tired. Or he says, if anyone is sick, if anyone is weary, if anyone is in sin, pray. He's covering everyone all the time. He's calling us to pray. Again, the context matters here, right? This is on the heels of calls to humility. He's saying, don't be arrogant in your presumptuous planning, remember? Don't be arrogant in the way that you slander one another. Don't be arrogant because of your wealth. Don't just rely on self for everything, but what? Pray. There's this call to pray on the the heels of this idea of being against arrogance, And so people are either weary, or they're dying, or they are sick, or they are tired, or they are stuck in sin, or there's people who've been causing this for them and sinning against them, and he's saying, pray. Everyone pray all the time. Paul Paul says various things in in his letters about this. I just want to read um, a couple examples. The first is from uh, Philippians 4. Paul says this, rejoice, all right, like think, sing psalms. Be praise, you know, praising towards God. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. He's writing this from a prison, by the way. Let your graciousness or your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Remember, like we talked about that last week, right? That the Lord is near, therefore we get to live a certain way. He says, don't worry about everything, but in everything through prayer. And petition, two different words, we'll get into this, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So he's saying, About everything, go to God all of the time. Or look at what he says in First Thessalonians five. He says, Rejoice always, pray constantly. Or maybe your version says like, pray unceasingly, rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is what he wants for you. In Jesus, through Jesus, is prayer all the time about everything. Paul is saying exactly what James is saying. Prayer is for everyone all the time about every situation. And this is so James, this is why. It's rooted in humility. All right, prayer is rooted in humility. But the first thing, we need to define some terms here because he uses a couple different words for prayer, which Paul does as well in that Philippians 4 passage. I think we need to sort of get into this a little bit. First off, in verse 13, he says, you know, if, if you're suffering, this person should pray. The Greek word there is prosukumai. Uh it's, it's, it's like this, it's two different words put together. It means the exchange of wishes. It takes two different words, puts them together, and it becomes our word for pray. Or, the, or, you know, the, the, the noun prayer. It's this idea that there's, there's things being exchanged between people. And the word is regularly used for what we are to do towards God. Probably good at this, right? Like most of our prayers, often, if you're like me, most of our prayers come down to like, God, here's my wish. And we all like want to rub the lamp and make it happen, like we want the genie to pop out and just give us our answers. But but James is saying it, it like, and the word means something deeper than that. That there's this exchange happening, and this is why I said it's, prayer is meant to be a conversation. Do you know this? That that prayer is meant to be this engagement between us and our Father, our good Father. Like that we're we're telling Him what we want, and guess what? He gets to tell us what He wants. And so there's this exchange, and James is saying, if you're in trouble, if you're suffering, if you're weary, pray. Pray and exchange wishes with the Father. Where the next thing is, he says, if everything's good, if everything's cheerful, he should sing praises. And again, this is our word where we get our word psalms from. This is like to sing these songs, but who are we singing them to? God. It's another version of prayer, telling God what is good about his creation, what is good about the way that he has been caring for us and blessing us and sustaining us and forming us into his image. And then in verse 16, where it starts to, like, he starts to bring Elijah into the picture. Later, that's this, the, the prayer of a righteous person is effective, or the prayer of a person who's right with God is effective. The word there, prayer, uh, the noun there is a Greek word named uh, uh, desis, all right? And it's this, it's this idea of um, like a, a, a heartfelt petition arising out of this deep place in our soul. This request that we're trying to make known to God. of Like there's this need that I have. Please meet it, and it it feels personal, it feels urgent in a way. And so my point in all of this, though, is that this is meant to be an ongoing conversation with God. Prayer is not just a a one-time thing, a -a once-a-day thing, though it can be as a spiritual discipline, certainly, but it's meant to be this ongoing way of life, of humility with God bringing everything before him, good and bad, and in conversation with him throughout the days of our lives, right? And so I say it's rooted in humility because think about this with me. Like true faith-filled prayer is rooted in humility because everything, what we're admitting is that everything is from God and not from us. This is the opposite of arrogance that he's been talking about. The the arrogant people think that, well, everything's mine. I've earned it. I've got it. I'm going to go do what I want. I'm going to go where I want to go. I'm going to spend my money how I want to spend it. I'm going to root myself higher than other people. I'm going to look down on them like it's all my world, and I'm going to live it. And what James is saying, no, no, the opposite of that is actually faith-filled prayer. And it's humble because we're admitting that everything we have is from God. He's saying, if you're suffering, if you're suffering, pray. Well, that's humbling because you're admitting this is beyond my control. I can't fix this situation. It is bigger than me. I need God's help in this, and I need to go to him and tell him that. It's humbling. It's the opposite of arrogance, saying, well, I can handle everything. Or if we're saying that everything is good, I'm going to go praise. I'm going to sing songs to God. What we're admitting is, I didn't even have anything to do with this. God gave it to me. God is overseeing all things. I'm just a steward of what he's given me. Do you see the humility in this? Saying it's not mine. God gave this to me. Praise God. And you turn it back around and say, this is from him. This is for him. He's the one who's brought all of this together. And so whether it's good and we're praying and asking God for help, whether it's, I mean, whether it's good and we're saying, praise God, or it's bad and we're saying, God, help me, we're saying, humbly, it's all God's. He's here, I'm here. Or if we're sick, if we're weary, if we're stuck in sin that we need to confess, what does James say? Get help. In prayer. Pray for one another. Bring other people in. Is there anything more humbly, humbling than telling someone, man, I need help? I'm stuck in sin. Would you pray for me in this? Would you help me in this? It's this humbling thing to admit that I do not have control and I don't have the answer of how to fix this problem. I need your help in praying for me. See, it's rooted in humility, It's humbling to involve other people in your care. A couple months ago, I went to um, a gathering of a small group of uh, of pastors down in Philadelphia at a a friend's church, and we were praying for one another. And and we're all pastors, and we were trying to encourage one another in our calling. So like Paul tells Timothy, you know, remember your calling. Remember the laying on of hands that happened to you. And and so we were doing that for one another, remembering that we had all been called into ministry. And um, it, it came time, I mean, it was voluntary. It was like, if you wanna be prayed for, and we, we sat in a chair and the guys gathered around us and um, it, was, it was a beautiful time of prayer. If you can picture this, it was in this old church and there was this stained glass window that we were seated in looking out and we left space in front of us, just like this. We left space in front of us because we felt like that's where Jesus gets to stand. Everyone else gets to pray around us and Jesus is here in front of us. And they were speaking prayers and speaking prophetically over one another. And, and it came time for me, I felt urged, you know, to be prayed for. And, and I had to admit that, that I, needed, I needed help in some bitterness that I had in my soul. Something I've been dealing with for years. That I need help with forgiveness. I'm a pastor. Went to school for this. I read my Bible. I pray all the time about this. okay. I've practiced different spiritual disciplines trying to deal with this. I've gone to counseling to deal with some of this. And, man, I needed more than that. And I needed to be humble and admit, you know what, I can't, I can't figure this out. I want you guys to pray for me. And they pray for me, and, man, something broke in me. I can't even—I I don't know why all the other stuff didn't work, but it didn't. That did. And I know there's people in this room who can testify to things like that. When you need outside help for some reason— other people praying to God on your behalf, and man, something broke in me, and I felt a freedom over the last couple of months that I haven't felt in a couple of years. It's humbling, this life of prayer to involve other people saying, I need help from God and from you for some reason. There's this confessing that needs to happen to bring healing into our lives. But prayer, in its, in its humble roots, right, is meant to be a conversation. It's meant to be a relationship with our good God who loves us. It's not just meant to be, uh, hey, here's my list, make it happen, God, I'll talk to you maybe next week sometime. It's meant to be this ongoing conversation. Dallas Willard, I think it's in his book, Divine Conspiracy, says that um, prayer is never a mechanism, but it's it's almost always a, a personal negotiation of sorts. There's this back and forth that is meant to happen in prayer. It's life-giving. It's not meant to be just a magic ritual mechanism that we, you know, put the quarter in and get the answer back out. It's, it's meant to be this divine negotiation, this personal negotiation, rather, back and forth in conversation with the Father on an ongoing basis. And then what uh, Pastor and Adam and I have talked about before when it comes to prayer is that, is that prayer often does two things or can do things. Humble, faith-filled prayer can do two things. It conforms us, and it seems like it catalyzes God. It moves God somehow. Like, it's bizarre. When you read Scripture, and maybe some of you experienced in in your lives, that that when we pray, sometimes God does stuff. It's bizarre. Not always, but sometimes. God moves and actually intervenes in our lives in a way that we can tangibly see and feel and experience, like I just talked about. So prayer, in this, this personal negotiation with God, conforms us to the image of Jesus. God uses this conversation to shape us, to mold us, to lop off things that shouldn't be there, that are robbing us of life, to, to make us more into his son. And so, can I just tell you today that when, when we pray in you know, faith filled humility, that God wants to speak to you? That God does still speak through the scriptures, through one another, and yes, sometimes in our minds, maybe we can audibly hear in a way or we can sense in a way that God is calling us to something. Sometimes it's one word. Sometimes it's an image. Sometimes it's a song. Sometimes he puts a scripture into our minds and says, hey, remember this, that I've made this promise. But it conforms us into the image of Jesus. This is the whole point, is that we become more and more like him. And sometimes He does that through answering our prayers, our requests. A lot of times he does it through not answering our prayers and our requests. I don't know what the secret is. I just know that sometimes he uses not answering prayers to say, I actually want to do something different in your life than you even realize. I'm going to give you something different than you realize that you needed. All to shape us more into the image of Jesus, which is where full life, is. But sometimes when we pray and we're in this heartfelt conversation with God, this negotiation of back and forth where we're exchanging wishes and he's telling us, it moves God to do something. I have friends who say that like, hey, the more people you get to pray for something, the better. Sometimes God does stuff. Sometimes he doesn't. We would argue that, yes, throughout Scripture and through our lives, we've seen that sometimes God answers these requests in a very direct and tangible way, and God moves on our behalf, which is why I think he brings Elijah into the picture, which I'll explain a little bit more about that in a second. But sometimes, like, have any of you seen prayers answered? Let's be a little bit bold here. All right, see? Okay. So you would agree with me, whether you realize it or not, that we do believe that God can be catalyzed, like move towards us for some reason. I would argue because he loves us and because he knows what's good for us and for his glory. Prayer conforms us, it catalyzes God. But let's remember James has already said up to this point if the Lord wills. This is a life of humility that says it's not up to me. Everything I have, I have has been given to me by God. I'm gonna live my life to the best for his glory and for my good and the fullness of of Jesus in my life. And I don't know what's gonna happen, but whatever the Lord wills. So there's this this underneath, I think there's this caveat to this whole thing that James is saying. That's what a life of humility looks like is open-handed and says, if the Lord wills. My life is his. Whatever he wants to do, I trust him in this. But the point in all of this is that in humility, and we pray without ceasing, when we're in this conversation with God it's the full life that conforms us into the image of Jesus. We get to pray for one another. We get to say that this life isn't just about me, it's not just mine. It's for God's glory and he's going to do something in me and I can I can trust him for that. And so can I just encourage you that if if your prayer life as some people call it if it looks like hey just a you know little 5 minute thing one day a week, that's fine. There's a better conversation than just that though to be had with God. There's more life found in pursuing him throughout the day. So maybe what that looks like in this coming week is you say, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm going to pray on my way to work for a couple minutes. And on Wednesday this week at lunch, I'm going to set aside 10 minutes to go out to my car and pray at work or whatever. I don't know. Like something that says, I'm, I'm going to add to this, not for the sake of trying to earn God's like, goodness, but to say, I want more from you, God. Or maybe you need to set aside silence, like time of silence to say, God, I want you to speak. I'm present. I'm listening. Do you want to say anything to me? And just see what happens. Just see what happens. See what he says. Prayer is conversation. Now, the second part of this is James makes some bold claims about prayers for healing. All right? Now, as a denomination, the Christian Missionary Alliance, is a family of, you know, family of churches, we believe that Jesus still heals. I don't know if you've experienced this in your life, if you've seen this in your life, but we believe that Jesus has the power to heal today, emotionally, physically, spiritually, relationally. Like, he still wants to act today to heal people. It's not something that ceased with the early church. Well, I'm going to ask a question again. How many of you have experienced healing or seen of it or heard of it? It, As the result of prayer, really, I guess is what I'm asking, right? Okay, so again, maybe you haven't experienced this before, but... God does still heal. So, I need to define some terms here, okay? This matters to me. I'm a dork when it comes to language, but I think it matters here for, for us to understand the passage because this passage has been abused or mishandled, I believe. So, if you're sick, pray. I've already been through this. Sick means sick, or it means weary, or weary even to the point of sickness, run down, tired. Uh, we see it used in the Gospels to mean like not whole. There's a, remember the, the woman who is bleeding and she believes that if she touches Jesus, she will be healed? The, the word there is she will be made whole. It's just interesting. So this idea of being sick means like not whole, not experiencing the shalom of Jesus, the, the fullness of wholeness in God, whether that's because of weakness or uh, because of actual physical sickness. He says, if you're sick, call for the elders all right? So the elders, again, this is a Greek word, means uh, presbyteros, which is where we get our word presbytery from, or Presbyterian church, right? It is it's it's it is oftentimes an office in the church, a, a role that is played in the church of elder. And so we said, Tony's here today, I am, we are elders in our church, in our structure, which means we're the, you know, in theory, we're the, the first followers in the church, the leadership in the church. But elder also just means elder, like Older, wiser, more mature person in the room. It's often used in that way as well. It's not necessarily, I believe in this case, it didn't necessarily mean uh, the office of elder. It means people of, of uh, righteous stature in the church, of wisdom in the church. People who are helping lead in the church due to office or due to maturity. Uh, I think it's important to say, for those of you who maybe grew up in a different tradition, it doesn't say priest. I think this matters. There, there is a, a branch of the Christian faith that says that only the priests can pray for healing and that, and that when they do that, it's often when somebody's close to death and it's for the remittance of sins. I, I don't believe that that's what James is after here. He says elders, he's calling for people who are wiser and more mature uh, to be praying for one another when you're sick at any time. All right? And so I've said that's a difference here that I need to point out. He says, if anyone's sick, call for the elders of the church to pray over them, anoint them with oil. Talk about that in a second. And he says, and the prayer of faith will make the sick person well. Sins will, you know, be forgiven if they are confessing. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful in its working. Or, you know, that Eugene Peterson translation I talked about, that the, the prayer of a person who's right with God is something to be reckoned with. Again, context matters. Is this not what James has been about the whole time? Be genuine. Be steadfast. Be faithful towards Jesus. And so now he's saying the person who is living like that, man, you're going to see some stuff happen with their prayers. They're effective in the way that they are working themselves out. Here's what it means, I believe, to be a righteous person. If you are a Jesus follower... All right? If you were somebody who said, like, Jesus is my king, he is my Lord, he is my Savior, you, if you are a Christian, a born-again Christian in this way, right, you are considered righteous. Positionally, it is fixed, it is finished. In Jesus, you are righteous. You are right with God, okay? Everybody understand this concept? You can think of it in like a legal term in a way, too. You're justified. You are made righteous in Jesus, But to be righteous also means to be living a life right with God. There are decisions that we can make on a daily basis that are righteous and make us, uh, put us in a right position with God to hear from Him. And there's decisions we can make that are unrighteous, that pull us away from deep relationship with the Father. This is, you know, the definition of sin, right? Is Is to worship something more than God, to make unrighteous decisions and pull ourselves further and further away from deep relationship with God. Still positionally righteous, but not living a righteous life. I understand that? Does that make sense? Can you nod if this makes sense? If you're like, I'm still really confused, we can talk afterwards. I'd be happy to. Because I think that matters in this passage. He's saying that, that, that a person who is righteous, who is, who is doing their best to remain right with God, to avoid sin intentionally, to, to try to be in deep conversational relationship with God, it's that kind of person who starts to have an effective prayer life. And this makes sense, right? This is what James has been after the whole time, is be that kind of people. Be people of genuine faith who are pursuing God and who are knowing him in a deep way and only relying on him. Living right with God, Eugene Peterson says. So he's saying that the person who has acted on faith, who has acted on genuine faith to remain in Jesus is maintaining a life of righteousness it leads them to have a clearer conversation with God when i in my life allow myself to fall into sin when i when i give into temptation it starts to put a distance between me and the father does that make sense And so when there's this distance between me and the Father, I don't hear quite as well. Think about someone that you're friends with. Think about someone that you're in a relationship with. Think about someone that, that you're married to. If you were cheating on them, how well would you be hearing from them? How good would your conversations be? You understand what I'm saying? You're still married or still in a relationship with them. But are you really communicating in a deep meaningful way. This is what I'm talking about. A person who is trying to pursue Jesus to avoid sin intentionally because we know the full life doesn't come from there. To, to be in conversation with God, actually start to hear better from the Father. Does that make sense? Again, not earning anything, but it's because we're not putting other things in the way. We're not muffling our ears in any way with what the devil is whispering to us, what our flesh is whispering to us, what the, what the world is screaming at us. We're trying to block that out so we can hear from God. So this is what he's calling for, is saying, call on those types of people to pray for you. And Lord willing, as elders of the church, this is what Tony and I are, are giving our lives to, is committed to this kind of righteousness. You know, the people we have asked to pray for us today are people who I know their lives okay? And, and you, and this is my promise to you and to us as a congregation, is that when we commit our lives to righteousness, we get to hear from God more regularly. We can hear more easily what he's trying to say because we're not putting all this other junk into our minds and into our souls. And he's saying that kind of faith, that kind of intentionally righteous living of trying to hear from God brings healing, brings strength, brings restoration. And I just want to say this because this passage has been abused. This is still faith in God to heal, not faith in my faith to heal. It's not faith in your faith to heal. It's faith in God to heal. This matters. As we have raised hands and said, there are times where we have seen people Healed. I just testified to a healing that took place in me. It had nothing to do with my faith. I was—I had been trying really hard to be faithful, and just wasn't happening. I like, but in in other people's faith in crying out to God, like this healing happened. Right? We we had a, a, a but but on the flip side of that, I've seen this abused where we were in a situation years ago where a, a friend of ours, her little sister, was in a, in a terrible car accident, and she was in a coma, and we got a hundred people or more together to pray for her. And we were really faithful. We were really faithful. And she died. So were we not faithful enough? That's crap. Does that sound like the Jesus of our gospel? To say, well, you weren't faithful enough. Friends, there's more happening in this in this line of reasoning here for James than just muster up a whole lot of faith and then God will answer your prayers. There's something deeper going on than that. On the flip side, we were in a situation, I've shared this before, where uh, when we were in Jordan, Jess and a friend of ours, another international worker there, were praying for this woman who had five miscarriages, praying for her to be healed, that God would give her a baby. And they prayed for her, just sort of on a whim, while she was sitting there, prayed for her to be healed. Man, nine months later, she had a baby. But here's the irony. When she walked out of the room, our friend Cheryl said, well, I hope God does it. Is that deep faith? I don't know. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, this is why I don't want to see this passage abused to think, well, if you just drum up enough faith, then God will answer your prayers. Yet James makes this... Bizarre point, does he not? The prayers of a righteous person are powerful in their working. They're effective somehow. So it must mean something different, does it not? A righteous person praying, living in line with God's wishes, that prayer starts to conform and to catalyze God. Conforms us, catalyzes God. The word that James there The word that James uses there is is that prayer, saves. The word is sozo in Greek. That word, it means saves, makes whole. Again, it's a word that's used interchangeably in the New Testament. To mean salvation from sin, death, and hell. And it means to make somebody whole in a healing way. Which way is James using it? Both, I think think praying in a righteous way, that the, the prayers of a righteous person are then able to save someone. I think maybe he means healing. I think also he means healing. <laughs> Physically, spiritually, seems to be interchangeable in the New Testament and the way that he is using it here. But I do believe it means making someone whole, no matter what bringing the shalom of God, conforming them into the image of Jesus where full life is actually found. When we confess sins to one another, which he calls for in this passage, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And James says it makes us whole when a righteous person prays for us when we confess sins. He says, when you pray for healing, that person will be raised up. They are made whole conforming us into what Jesus really wants for us a whole life. They're raised up, meaning they're raised out of their weariness and given strength to endure and to persevere. The brokenness is healed in some way. The sinfulness is done away with in some way. That bitterness that was in my heart is done away with. I'm wholer than I was a few months ago, right? This is what's happening in this, this idea of being conformed. And then oftentimes, it catalyzes God like Elijah. Elijah prays for no rain. You can go and look at this passage in the Old Testament. Elijah prays for no rain, and it happens. Now, here's what I would argue. He was a prophet. This is, By the way, I'm not about ready to set myself up and out out of this passage. Elijah was a prophet. Elijah, in a way, That not everyone could in the Old Testament because the Spirit had not been given to everyone. Elijah has this relationship with God in which God speaks to him and calls him to things. So I don't know if it came from Elijah's own self that he said, I'm going to call for a famine in the land through a drought, Or if God said, Elijah, I'm calling on you to call for a famine and a drought, and I want you to pray for it so that other people hear in a prophetic act. I don't know, but he was in conversation with God. I can tell you that much. You can read all about it. Elijah is no different than you and me, James says. In his prayer life, in his life with God, he was in conversation, and they were exchanging wishes with one another about what God wanted to do on earth. And Elijah prayed it, and God was catalyzed and did it. So what James is saying is when we get together and pray for one another, listen to what God wants to say. Pay attention. Maybe God wants to do something in this person's life. Maybe he wants to answer that prayer specifically. Maybe he's catalyzed to do something completely different than we never expected and bring a different kind of healing? I don't know. But James loads all of that into this idea of this is what it means to live a life of humble prayer and conversation with God, praying for one another, lifting things up to God. And so, I'm going to say this as I close. I don't believe that this is prescriptive. The point is not the prescription. The point is prayer. Have you ever seen someone healed without being anointed with oil? Yes, most likely. Have you seen someone healed because they prayed themselves and it happened? Yes. Have we seen Jesus heal people without the anointing of oil or the calling of other elders? Yes. Have we seen people prayed, uh, healed in the, in the Old Testament? without any leadership present at all. Yes, this is not prescriptive, okay? The point is prayer. Now, this is how they practiced it, fine. But if you have an opportunity to pray for somebody and there's not oil around, don't panic. Just go before God with that person. This is the beauty of this. And all of this is possible because of Jesus, All of this is possible. We've seen Jesus live out a conversation with God in his walk on earth. We see him conformed to God's will as he regularly seeks conversation out with the Father and goes off for times to be alone. We see Jesus catalyze God to bring healing to people right next to him from blindness, from being deaf, from being mute, from being dead. He raises people from the grave. He's conformed to God in conversation. He catalyzes God in a righteous way to, to bring about healing and wholeness for people. And yet what we see in Jesus in the garden is that his prayer goes unanswered. Do we not? And in the garden of Gethsemane, he says, God, I don't want this. I don't, I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to die. But if it's your will, If you will it, I'll do it. If you want me to suffer, I will. I don't want it. And he goes to the cross, and I would argue that his his prayer for release was denied. But he trusts the Father anyway and says, if it's your will, I'll do it. And on our behalf, his prayer is denied so that ours can be heard. (laughs) This is the beauty of the great exchange in the gospel. But more than that, there's healing in it. In Matthew 8, you see Jesus healing all of these people. And Matthew, looking back on it later, recording the events, says this in Matthew 8, When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. He drove out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick so that what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. He himself took our weaknesses, took our infirmities, and carried our diseases. This is incredible. Jesus is the fulfillment of what Isaiah had said hundreds of years earlier, that when the suffering servant would come, he would carry our sicknesses on him. He would take our diseases onto himself. And Matthew's looking back on this saying, holy cow, Jesus did that. All of it is on him. And what I would argue is that he then takes it to the cross and it's nailed there with him. And it now no longer has any power. And so if he wants to dispense healing now, he can. He has power over it because of his death and because of his resurrection and because he's God. So what he does is he takes this new creation future, this resurrection future, and he brings it backwards into our lives now and says, I want to give this to you. Sometimes he does it. Sometimes physical healing happens and sometimes it does not. But we know that our ultimate healing comes someday in the resurrection. He has already purchased this for us. His death is that sozo, that salvation for us that makes us whole forgives us our sins and takes away eternal death. It defeats sin and gives us power over sin in our daily lives when we walk in him. And it takes away the power of death ultimately and gives us the promise of resurrection. So that even if our prayers are not answered, and even if we all die, which we will, we have the promise of new life that all will be made well, that new creation is waiting for us. We taste it a little bit now, and there's times when Jesus dispenses it in a way to encourage us, to build us up for our good and for his glory, conforming us to his image and catalyzing God on our behalf for his glory. So friends, healing is available to us in part now, in wholeness and fullness someday, If the Lord wills, he acts benevolently benevolently on our behalf to bring healing. Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. We're simply called to go before him and say, yes, Lord, I want more of you. Please do this in my life. And then listen and say, is that what you want? Or do you want to do something different than I've even thought about? This is the conversation. This is what it looks like in the prayer of a righteous, faithful, or faith-filled person. And so... Prayer is a conversation. It's an act of humility. And I want to take time right now to enter into that together. I would hope that in the last couple years, you have been humbled in some way. That You can look at your life and say, man, this really is out of my control. There's stuff way bigger than me. I can't fix it all. I can't manage it all. I cannot do it all. And then in that place of humility, if you are suffering... If you are in trouble, pray. <laughs> Go to God and say, God, I want out of this, but your will be done. What do you want for me? Take time and listen. If things are going great for you, praise God. Join us in singing in a couple minutes. Like, that's fantastic, and we are super happy for you. It's great. Praise God. It's all from him anyway. If you're sick, you're stuck in sin, you're just weary and worn out. We want to pray for you. So this is what we're going to do. Uh, Tony and I are going to be one sort of prayer, I was going to say duo, that's a weird word, prayer team uh, in a room over there. Jess, uh, my wife, and Erica Salo are going to be a prayer team as well. And then Paul and Mary and Keitel, they're like our standby prayers. If for some reason there's like a log jam of people, uh, they're going to be willing to pray for people up here as well. So you have three options right now. Pray in your seats while we're singing about something that you're struggling with. Praise God in your seats while we're singing for something that he's blessed you with or the goodness of God in your life. But if there's something that you want healing for, something you need release from, a sin in your life, something that that you're just weary and you need strength for, come and be prayed for with me and Tony, with Erica and Jess, uh, with Paul and Marion.